Hide the Christmas tree carefully, Helen. Be sure the children do not see it until this evening when it's dressed. Ah, uh, yes. He is in. Is that my little lark twittering out there? Yes, it is. Is it my little squirrel bustling about? Yes. When did my squirrel come home? Just now. Come in here, Torvald, and see what I bought. Bought, did you say? All these things. Has my little spendthrift been wasting money again? Yes, but Torvald, this year we really can let ourselves go a little. This is the first Christmas that we have not needed to economise. Still, you know, we can't spend money recklessly. Yes, Torvald, we may be a wee bit more reckless now, mayn't we? Just a tiny wee bit. You are going to have a big salary and earn lots and lots of money. Yes, after the new year, but then it will be a whole quarter before my salary is due. Oh, poo, we can borrow until then. Nora, the same little featherhead. Suppose now that I borrowed £50 today, and you spent it all in the Christmas week, and then on New Year's Eve a slate fell on my head and killed me, and... Oh, don't say such horrid things! Still, suppose that happened, what then? If that were to happen, I don't suppose I should care whether I owed money or not. Yes, but what about the people who had lent it? They? Who would bother about them? I should not know who they were. Ha! <laughs> that is like a woman. But seriously, Nora, you know what I think about that. No debt, no borrowing. There can be no freedom or beauty about a home life that depends on borrowing and debt. We two have kept bravely on the straight road so far, and we will go on in the same way for the short time longer that there need be any struggle. As you please, Torvald. Come, come, my little Skylark must not droop her wings. What is this? Is my little squirrel out of temper? Nora, what do you think I've got here? Money. There you are. Do you think I don't know what a lot of money is wanted for housekeeping at Christmas time? Ten shillings. A pound. Oh, two pounds. Oh, thank you, thank you, Torval. This will keep me going for a long time. Indeed it must. Yes, yes, it will. But come here and let me show you what I bought. And all so cheap. Look. Here is a new suit for Ivor, and a sword, and a horse and a trumpet for Bob, and a dolly and a dolly's bedstead for Emmy. They are all very plain, but anyway, she will soon break them into pieces. And here are dress lengths and handkerchiefs for the maids. Old Anne ought really to have something better. And what is in this parcel? <laughs> no, 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 you mustn't see that till this evening. Very well, but now tell me, you extravagant little person, what would you like for yourself? For myself? Oh, I'm sure I don't want anything. Oh, yes, but you must. Tell me something reasonable that you would particularly like to have. I really can't think of anything. Unless... Torvald? Well? If you really want to give me something, you might... You might... Well, out with it. You might give me money, Torvald. Only just as much as you can afford, and then one of these days I will buy something with it. 
But Nora... Oh, do, dear Torvald, please, please do, and then I will wrap it up in beautiful gilt paper and hang it on the Christmas tree. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? What are little people called that are always wasting money? Spendthrifts, I know. Let us do as you suggest, Torvald, and then I shall have time to think of what I am most in want of. That is a very sensible plan, isn't it? Indeed it is. That is to say, if you were really to save out of the money I give you, and then really buy something for yourself. But if you spend it all on the housekeeping and any number of unnecessary things, then I merely have to pay up again. Oh, but Torvald... You can't deny it, my dear little Nora. It's a sweet little spendthrift, but she uses up a deal of money. One would hardly believe how expensive such little persons are. It's a shame to say that. I do really save all I can. <laughs> uh, that's very true. All you can, but you can't save anything. You haven't any idea how many expenses we Skylarks and Squirrels have, Torvald. You are an odd little soul. Very like your father. You always find some new way of wheedling money out of me, and as soon as you've got it, it seems to melt in your hands. You never know where it's gone. Still, one must take you as you are. It is in the blood, for indeed it is true that you can inherit these things, Nora. I wish I had inherited many of Papa's qualities. And I would not wish you to be anything but just what you are, my sweet little Skylark. Did you remember to invite Dr. Rank tonight? No, but there is no need. As a matter of course, she will come to dinner with us. However, I will ask her when she comes in this morning. I have ordered some good wine. Nora, you can't think how I am looking forward to this evening. Oh, so am I. And how the children will enjoy themselves, Torvald. It is splendid to feel that one has a perfectly safe appointment. And a big enough income. It's delightful to think of, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. Do you remember last Christmas? For a full three weeks beforehand, you shut yourself up every evening until long after midnight, making ornaments for the Christmas tree and all the other fine things that were to be a surprise to us. It was the dullest three weeks I ever spent. I didn't find it dull. But there was precious little result, Nora. Oh, you shouldn't tease me about that again. How could I help the cats going in and tearing everything to pieces? Of course you couldn't, poor little girl. You had the best of intentions to please us all, and that's the main thing. But it is a good thing that our hard times are over. Yes, it is really wonderful. This time I needn't sit here and be dull all alone, and you needn't ruin your dear eyes and your pretty little hands. No, no, Torvald, I needn't any longer, need I? It's wonderfully lovely to hear you say so. Oh, there's the bell. There's someone at the door. What a nuisance. If it is a caller, remember I am not at home. How do you do, Nora? How do you do? You don't recognise me, I suppose. No, I don't know. Yes. To be sure, I seem to... Yes! Christine! Is that really you? Yes, it is I. Christine! To think of my not recognising you. And yet, how could I? How you've altered, Christine. Yes, I have indeed. In nine, ten long years. Is it so long since we met? Well, I suppose it is. The last eight years have been a happy time for me, I can tell you. And so now you've come into the town and taken this long journey in winter. That was plucky of you. 
I arrived by steamer this morning. To have some fun at Christmas time, of course. Oh, how delightful. We will have such fun together. Oh, but take off your things. You're not cold, I hope. Now we will sit down by the stove and be cosy. <laughs> no, take this armchair. I will sit in the rocking chair. Now you look like your old self again. It was only the first moment. You are a little paler, Christine, and perhaps a little thinner. And much, much older, Nora. Perhaps a little older. Very, very little. Certainly not much. Oh, what a thoughtless creature I am, chattering away like this. My poor dear Christine, do forgive me. What do you mean, Nora? Poor Christine, you're a widow. Yes. It is three years ago now. Yes, I knew I saw it in the papers. I assure you, Christine, I meant ever so often to write to you at the time, but I always put it off and something always prevented me. I quite understand, dear. It was very bad of me, Christine. Oh, poor thing, you must have suffered. And he left you nothing. No children. No. Not even any sorrow or grief to live upon. But Christine, is that possible? It sometimes happens, Nora. So you are quite alone? How dreadfully sad that must be. I have three lovely children. You can't see them just now, for they are out with their nurse, but now you must tell me all about it. No, no, I, I want to hear about no, you. No, you must begin. I mustn't be selfish today. Today, I must only think of your affairs. But there is one thing I must tell you. Do you know we have just had a great piece of good luck? No. What is it? Just fancy. My husband has been made manager of the bank. Your husband? Oh, what good luck. Yes, tremendous. A barrister's profession is such an uncertain thing, especially if he won't undertake unsavoury cases, and naturally Torvald has never been willing to do that. And I quite agree with him. You may imagine how pleased we are. He is to take up his work in the bank in the new year, and then he will have a big salary and lots of commissions. For the future, we can live quite differently. We can do just as we like. Oh, I feel so relieved and so happy, Christine. It will be splendid to have heaps of money and not need to have any anxiety, won't it? Yes. Anyhow, I, I think it would be delightful to have what one needs. No, not only what one needs, but heaps and heaps of money. <laughs> Nora, Nora, haven't you learned any sense yet? In our school days, you were such a great spendthrift. <laughs> Yes, that is what Torvald says now. But Nora, Nora is not so silly as you think. We have not been in a position for me to waste money. We have both had to work. You too? Yes. Odds and ends, needlework, crochet work, embroidery, that sort of thing. And other things as well. You know Torvald left his office when we were married. There was no prospect of promotion there, and he had to try and earn more money than before. But during the first year, he overworked himself dreadfully. You see, he had to make money every way he could, and he worked so early and late, and he couldn't stand it. He fell dreadfully ill, and the doctor said it was necessary for him to go south. You spent a whole year in Italy, didn't you? 
Yes. It was no easy matter to get away, I can tell you. It was just after Ivor was born, but naturally we had to go. It was a wonderfully beautiful journey, and it saved Torvald's life. But it cost a tremendous lot of money, Christine. So I should think. It cost about £250. That's a lot, isn't it? Yes, and in emergencies like that it is lucky to have the money. I ought to tell you that we had it from Papa. Oh, oh I see. It was just about that time that he died, wasn't it? Yes. And just think of it. I couldn't go and nurse him. I was expecting little Ivor's birth every day and I had my poor sick Torvald to look after. My dear, kind father. I never saw him again, Christine. That was the saddest time I had ever known since our marriage. I know how fond you were of him. And then you went off to Italy? Yes. You see, we had money then. And the doctors insisted on our going, so we started a month later. And your husband came back quite well? Sound as a bell. But... but the doctor? What doctor? I thought your maid said that the lady who arrived here, just as I did, was the doctor. Oh, that must be Dr Rank. But she doesn't come here professionally. She is our greatest friend and comes in at least once every day. No, Torvald has not had an hour's illness since then. And our children are strong and healthy, and so am I. (laughs) Oh, Christine! Christine, it is good to be alive and happy. Oh, but how horrid of me. I am talking of nothing but my own affairs. Oh, you mustn't be angry with me. Tell me. Is it really true you did not love your husband? Why did you marry him? My mother was alive then, and was bedridden and helpless, and I had to provide for my two younger brothers, so I did not think I was justified in refusing his offer. No, perhaps you were quite right. He was rich at the time, then. I believe he was quite well off, but his business was a precarious one, and when he died it all went to pieces, and there was nothing left. And then? Well, I had to turn my hand to anything I could find. First a small shop, then a small school, and so on. The last three years have seemed like one long working day with no rest. Now it's at an end, Nora. My poor mother needs me no more for she is gone, and the boys do not need me either. They've got situations and can shift for themselves. What a relief you must feel if... No, indeed. I only feel my life unspeakably empty. No one to live for anymore. That was why I could not stand the life in my little backwater any longer. I hope it may be easier here to find something which will busy me and occupy my thoughts. If only I could have the good luck to get some regular work. Office work of some kind. But Christine, that is so frightfully tiring. And you look tired out now. You had far better go away to some watering place. I have no father to give me money for a journey, Nora. Oh, don't be angry with me. It is you that must not be angry with me, dear. The worst of a position like mine is that it makes one so bitter. No one to work for and yet obliged to be always on the lookout for chances. One must live, and so one becomes selfish. When you told me of the happy turn your fortunes have taken, 
you will hardly believe it. I was delighted not so much on your account as on my own. How do you mean? Oh, I understand. You mean that perhaps Torvald could get you something to do? Yes, that was what I was thinking of. Oh, he must, Christine. Just leave it to me. I will broach the subject very cleverly. I will think of something that will please him very much. Oh, it will make me so happy to be of some use to you. How kind you are, Nora, to be so anxious to help me. It is doubly kind in you, for you know so little of the burdens and troubles of life. I... I know so little of them. My dear, small household cares and that sort of thing. You are a child, Nora. You ought not to be so superior. No. You are just like the others. They all think I am incapable of anything really serious. Come, come. That I have gone through nothing in this world of cares. But, my dear Nora, you have just told me all of your troubles. Oh, Pooh, those were trifles. I have not told you the important thing. The important thing? What do you mean? You look down upon me altogether, Christine. But you ought not to. You are proud, aren't you, of having worked so hard and so long for your mother? Indeed. I don't look down on anyone, but it is true that I am both proud and glad to think that I was privileged to make the end of my mother's life almost free from care. And you are proud to think of what you have done for your brothers? I think I have the right to be. I think so too. But now listen to this. I, too, have something to be proud and glad of. I have no doubt you have, but what do you refer to? Speak low. Suppose Torvald were to hear. He mustn't, on any account, no one in this world should know Christine except you. It was I who saved Torvald's life. Saved? How? I told you about our great trip to Italy. Torvald would never have recovered if we had not gone there. Yes, but your father gave you the necessary funds. Yes, that is what Torvald and all of the others think, but... But... Papa didn't give us a shilling. It was I who procured the money. You? All that large sum? Two hundred and fifty pounds. What do you think of that? But... Nora, how could you possibly do it? Did you win a prize in the lottery? In the lottery? There would have been no credit in that. But where did you get it from, then? Because you couldn't have borrowed it. Couldn't I? Why not? No, a, a wife cannot borrow without her husband's consent. Oh, if it is a wife who has any head for business. A wife who has the wit to be a little bit clever. I don't understand it at all, Nora. There is no need you should. I never said I had borrowed the money. Perhaps I got it some other way. Perhaps I got it from some other admirer. When anyone is as attractive as I am. You are a mad creature. Now I know you're full of curiosity, Christine. Listen to me, Nora dear. Haven't you been a little bit imprudent? Is it imprudent to save your husband's life? It seems to me imprudent. 
without his knowledge But it is absolutely necessary that he should not know. My goodness, can't you understand that? It was necessary he should have no idea what a dangerous condition he was in. It was to me that the doctors came and said that his life was in danger and that the only thing to save him was to live in the South. Do you suppose I didn't try, first of all, to get what I wanted as if it was for myself? I told him how much I should love to travel abroad like the other young wives. I tried tears and entreaties with him. I told him that he ought to remember the condition I was in. And that he ought to be kind and indulgent to me. I even hinted that he might raise a loan. That nearly made him angry, Christine. He said I was thoughtless, and that it was his duty as my husband not to indulge me in my whims and caprices. As I believe he called them. Very well, I thought. You must be saved. And that was how I came to devise a way out of the difficulty. And did your husband never get to know from your father that the money had not come from him? No, never. Papa died just at the time. I had meant to let him into the secret and beg him never to reveal it, but he was so ill then. Alas, there was never any need to tell him. And since then, have, have you never told your secret to your husband? Oh, good heavens, no. How could you think so? A man who has such strong opinions about these things, and besides... How painful and humiliating it would be for Torvald with his manly independence to know that he owed me anything. It would upset our mutual relations together. Our beautiful, happy home would no longer be what it is now. Do you mean to never tell him about it? <laughs> yes. Someday, perhaps. After many years, when I am no longer as nice-looking as I am now. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I mean, of course, when Torvald is no longer as devoted to me as he is now, when my dancing and dressing up and reciting have piled on him, then it may be a good thing to have something in reserve. Oh, what nonsense! That day will never come. Now, what do you think of my great secret, Christine? Do you still think I am of no use? I can tell you, too, that this affair has caused me a great lot of worry. It has been by no means easy for me to meet my engagements punctually. I may tell you that there is something that is called, in business, quarterly interest. And another thing, called payment in instalments, and it is always so dreadfully difficult to manage them. I have had to save a little here and there where I could, you understand. I have not been able to put aside much from my housekeeping money, for Torvald must have a good table. I couldn't let my children be shabbily dressed. I felt obliged to use all he gave me for them. Oh, the sweet little darlings. So it has all had to come out of your own necessaries for life, poor Nora? Of course. Besides, I was the one responsible for it. Whenever Torvald has given me money for new dresses and such things, I have never spent more than half of it. I have always bought the simplest and cheapest things. Thank heaven any clothes look well on me and so Torvald has never noticed. But it was often very hard on me, Christine. Because it is delightful to be really well-dressed, isn't it? Quite so. Well, then I have found other ways of earning money. Last winter, I was lucky enough to get a lot of copying to do. 
so I locked myself up and sat writing every evening until quite late at night. Many a time I was desperately tired, but all the same it was a tremendous pleasure to sit there working and earning money. It was like being a man. How much have you been able to pay off in that way? I can't tell you exactly. You see, it is very difficult to keep an account of a business matter of that kind. I only know I have paid every penny that I could scrape together. Many a time I was at my wit's end. Then I used to sit here and imagine that a richer old gentleman had fallen in love with me. What? Who was it? Don't be quiet. That he had died and that when his will was opened, it contained, written in big letters, the instruction, the lovely Mrs. Nora Helmer is to have all I possess paid over to her at once in cash. But, my dear Nora, who could the man be? Oh, good gracious, can't you understand? There was no old gentleman at all. It was only something I would sit here and imagine when I couldn't think of any way of procuring money. But it's all the same now. The tiresome old person can stay where he is, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care about him or his will either, for I am free from care now. Oh my goodness, it's delightful to think of, Christine. Free from care. To be able to be free from care, quite free from care. To be able to play and romp with the children, to be able to keep the house beautifully and have everything just as Torvald likes it. And think of it. Soon the spring will come and the big blue sky. Perhaps we shall be able to take a little trip. Perhaps I shall see the sea again. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be alive and happy. There is the bell. Perhaps I'd better go. Oh, no, don't go. No one will come in here. It is sure to be for Torvald. Who is it? It is I, Mrs. Elmer. You. What is it? What do you want to see my husband about? Bank business, in a way. I have a small post in the bank, and I hear your husband is to be our chief now. Then it Nothing is... but dry business matters, Mrs. Helmer. Absolutely nothing else. Be so good as to go into the study, then. Nora, who was that man? A lawyer of the name Krogstad. Then it really was he. Do you know the man? I used to, many years ago. At one time he was a solicitor's clerk in our town. Yes, he was. He is greatly altered. He made a very unhappy marriage. He is a widower now, isn't he? With several children. They say he carries on various kinds of business. Really? Well, perhaps he does. I don't know anything about it. But don't let us think of business, it is so tiresome. No, my dear fellow, I won't disturb you. I would rather go and see your wife for a little while. Oh, I beg your pardon. I'm afraid I must be disturbing you too as well. Oh, no, not at all. Dr Rank? Miss Lind? I have often heard Mrs Lind's name mentioned round here. I think I passed you on the stairs when I arrived, Mrs Lind? Yes, I go up very slowly. 
I can't manage stairs well. Ah, some slight internal weakness? No, the the fact is I have been overworking myself. Nothing more than that. Then I suppose you must have come to town to amuse yourself with our entertainments. I have come to look for work. Is that a good cure for overwork? One must live, Dr. Rank. Yes, that is the general opinion. Look here, Dr. Rank. You know you want to live. Certainly. However wretched I may feel, I want to prolong the agony as long as possible. All my patients are like that, and so are those who are morally diseased. One of them, and a bad case too, is at this very moment with Helmer. Uh, whom do you mean? A lawyer by the name of Krogstad? A fellow you don't know at all. He suffers from a diseased moral character, Mrs. Helmer. But even he began talking of it being highly important that he should live. Did he? What did he want to speak to Torvald about? Oh, I've no idea. I only heard that it was something about the bank. I didn't know this... What's his name? Krogstad had anything to do with the bank? Yes, he has some sort of appointment there. I don't know whether you find also in your part of the world that there are certain people who go zealously snuffing out to smell out moral corruption, and as soon as they've found some, put the person concerned into some lucrative position where they can keep their eye on him. Healthy natures are left out in the cold. Still, I think the sick are those who most need taking care of. Yes, there you are. That is the sentiment turning society into a sick house. Why do you laugh about that? Have you any notion of what society really is? What do I care about tiresome society? I am laughing at something quite different. Something extremely amusing. Tell me, Dr. Rank, are all the people who are employed in the bank dependent on Torvald now? Is that what you find so extremely amusing? <laughs> mm, that is my affair. Oh, it is perfectly glorious to think that we have... that Torvald has so much power over so many people. I am tremendously happy. There is just one thing in the world now that I should dearly love to do. Well, what is that? It is something I should dearly love to say, if Torvald could hear me. Well, why can't you say it? Oh, no, I daren't. It's so shocking. Shocking? Well, I should advise you to say it. Still, with us as you might. What is it that you would so like to say if Torvald could hear you? I should just love to say... <laughs> well, I'm damned. Are you mad? Nora, dear. Say it. Hear, hear. Oh, hush, hush, hush. <laughs> well, Torvald, dear... Have you gotten rid of him? Yes, he has just gone. Let me introduce you. This is Christine, who has come to town. Christine? Uh, excuse me, but I don't know... Miss Lind, dear. Christine Lind. Ah, of course. A school friend of my wife's, I presume. Yes. We have known each other since then. And just think, she has taken a long journey in order to see you. What do you mean? No, really, I... Christine is tremendously clever at bookkeeping, and she is frightfully anxious to work under some clever man as to perfect herself. Very sensible, Mrs Lind. And when she heard you had been appointed manager of the bank, the news was telegraphed, you know, 
She travelled here as quick as she could. Torvald, I am sure you will be able to do something for Christine, for my sake, won't you? Well, it is not altogether impossible. I presume you are a widow, Mrs Lind? Yes. And have had some experience of bookkeeping? Yes, a, a fair amount. Ah, well, it's very likely I may be able to find something for you. <laughs> what did I tell you? What did I tell you? You have come just at a fortunate moment, Mrs Lind. How am I to thank you? Ah, there is no need. But today you must excuse me. Wait a minute. I will come with you. Don't be long away, Torval, dear. About an hour, no more. Are you going too, Christine? Yes. I must go and look for a room. Ah, well then. We can walk down the street together. What a pity it is we are so short of space here. I'm afraid it is impossible for us. Please don't think of it. Goodbye, Nora, dear. And many thanks. Goodbye for the present. Of course you will be back this evening. And you too, Dr Rank. Excuse me, the outer door was ajar. I suppose someone forgot to shut it. My husband is out, Mr. Crockstead. I know that. What do you want here, then? A word with you. You want to speak to me? I do. I was in Olsen's restaurant, and I saw your husband going down the street. Yes? With a lady. What, then? May I be so bold as to ask if it was a Mrs. Lynde? It was. Just arrived in town? Yes. Today. She's a great friend of yours, isn't she? She is, but I don't see... I knew her too, once upon a time. I am aware of that. Are you? So you know all about it. I thought as much. Then I can ask you, without beating around the bush, is Mrs Lynn to have an appointment in the bank? What right have you to question me, Mr Krogstad? You, one of my husband's subordinates. But since you ask, you shall know. Yes, Mrs Lind is to have an appointment. And it was I who pleaded her cause, Mr Crogstad, let me tell you that. I was right in what I thought, then. Sometimes one has a tiny little bit of influence, I should hope. Because one is a woman, it does not necessarily follow that... When anyone is in a subordinate position, Mr Krogstad, they should really be careful to avoid offending anyone who... who... Who has influence. Exactly. Mrs Helmer, you will be so good as to use your influence on my behalf. What? What do you mean? You will be so kind as to see that I am allowed to keep my subordinate position in the bank. What do you mean by that? Who proposes to take your post away from you? Oh, there is no necessity to keep up the pretense of ignorance. I can quite understand that your friend is not very anxious to expose herself to the chance of rubbing shoulders with me. And I quite understand, too, whom I have to thank for being turned off. 
But I assure you... Very likely. But, to come to that point, the time has come when I should advise you to use your influence to prevent that. Mr Krogstad, I have no influence. Haven't you? I thought you just said yourself, just now. Naturally, I did not mean you to put that construction on it. What should make you think I have any influence of that kind with my husband? Oh, I have known your husband from our student days. I don't suppose he is any more unassailable than other husbands. If you speak slightingly of my husband, I shall turn you out of the house. You are bold, Mrs. Helmer. I am not afraid of you any longer. As soon as the new year comes, I shall be in a very short time free of the whole thing. Listen to me, Mrs. Helmer. If necessary, I am prepared to fight for my small post in the bank, as if it were my life. So it seems. It is not only for the sake of the money. Indeed, that weighs least with me in the matter. There is another reason. Well, I may as well tell you. My position is this. I dare say you know, like everybody else, that once, many years ago, I was guilty of an indiscretion. I think I have heard something of the kind. The matter never came into court, but every way seemed closed to me after that. So I took to the business that you know of. I had to do something, and honestly, I don't think I've been one of the worst. But now I must cut myself free from all that. My sons are growing up. For their sake, I must try and win back as much respect as I can in the town. This post in the bank was like the first step up for me, and now your husband is going to kick me downstairs again, into the mud. But you must believe me, Mr Krogstad, it is not in my power to help you at all. Then it is because you haven't the will. But I have the means to compel you. You don't mean that you will tell my husband that I owe you money? <laughs> Suppose I were to tell it him... It would be perfectly infamous of you. <laughs> To think of his learning my secret, which has been my joy and pride in such an ugly, clumsy way. That he should learn it from you. And it would put me in a horribly disagreeable position. Only disagreeable? Well, do it then. And it will be the worse for you. My husband will see for himself what a blackguard you are, and you certainly won't keep your post then. If my husband does get to know of it, of course he will at once pay you what is still owing. And we shall have nothing more to do with you. When your husband was ill, you came to me to borrow £250. I didn't know anyone else I to go to. I promised to get you that amount, on certain conditions. Your mind was so taken up with your husband's illness, and you were so anxious to get the money for your journey, that you seemed to have paid no attention to the conditions of our bargain. Therefore, it will not be amiss if I remind you of them. Now, I promise to get the money on the security of a bond which I drew up. Yes, and which I signed. Good. But below your signature, there were a few lines constituting your father as a surety for the money. Those lines your father should have signed. Should? He did sign them. I had left the date blank. That is to say, your father should himself have inserted the date on which he signed the paper. Then I gave the bond to you to send by post to your father. Is that not so? Yes. And naturally you did so at once, because five or six days afterwards you brought me the bond with your father's signature. And then I gave you the money. Well, haven't I been paying it off regularly? Fairly so, yes. 
But to come back to the matter in hand, your father was very ill, wasn't he? He was very near his end. And died soon afterwards? Yes. Tell me, Mrs. Helmer, can you by any chance remember what day your father died? On what day of the month, I mean. Papa died on the 29th of September. That is correct. I have ascertained it for myself. And as that is so, there is a discrepancy which I cannot account for. This discrepancy consists, Mrs. Helmer, in the fact that your father signed this bond three days after his death. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't understand. Your father died on the 29th of September. But look here. Your father has dated his signature the 2nd of October. It is a discrepancy, isn't it? Can you explain it to me? It is a remarkable thing, too, that the words 2nd of October, as well as the year, are not written in your father's handwriting, but in one that I think I know. Well, of course it can be explained. Your father may have forgotten to date his signature, and someone else may have dated it haphazardly before they knew of his death. There is no harm in that. It all depends on the signature of the name. And that is genuine, I suppose, Mrs. Helmer. It was your father himself who signed his name here. No, it was not. It was I that wrote Papa's name. Are you aware that is a dangerous confession? In what way? You shall have your money soon. Let me ask you a question. Why did you not send the paper to your father? It was impossible. Papa was so ill. If I had asked him for his signature, I should have had to tell him what the money was being used for. And when he was so ill himself, I couldn't tell him that my husband's life was in danger. It was impossible. It would have been better for you if you had given up your trip abroad. No. That was impossible. That trip was to save my husband's life. I couldn't give that up. But did up. it never occur to you that you were committing a fraud on I me? couldn't take that into account. I didn't trouble myself about you at all. I couldn't bear you, because you put so many heartless difficulties in my way, although you knew what a dangerous condition my husband Mrs. was in. Mrs. Helmer, you evidently do not realise clearly what it is that you have been guilty of. But I can assure you that my one false step, which lost me all my reputation, was nothing more or nothing worse than what you have done. You? You asked me to believe that you were brave enough to run a risk to save your wife's life. The law cares nothing about motives. Then it must be a very foolish law. Foolish or not, it is the law by which you will be judged, if I produce this paper in court. I don't believe it. Is a daughter not to be allowed to spare her dying father anxiety and care? Is a wife not to be allowed to save her husband's life? I don't know much about law, but I am certain that there must be laws permitting such things as that. Have you no knowledge of such laws? You, who are a lawyer? You must be a very poor lawyer, Mr Krogstad. Maybe. But matters of business, such business as you and I have together, 
Do you think I don't understand that? Very well. Do as you please. But let me tell you this. If I lose my position a second time, you shall lose yours with me. Nonsense. Trying to frighten me like that. I am not so silly as he thinks. And yet... No! It is impossible. I did it for love's sake. The horrible man! It's all nonsense. There's nothing wrong. I will do everything I can to please you, Torvald. I will sing for you... Dance for you. Oh, are you back already? Yes. Uh, has anyone been here? Here? No. That is strange. I saw Krogstad going out of the gate. Did you? Oh, yes, I forgot. <laughs> Krogstad was here for a moment. Nora, I can see from your manner that he has been here begging you to say a good word for him. Yes. And you were to appear to do it of your own accord. You were to conceal from me the fact of his having been here. Didn't he beg that of you too? Yes, Torvald, but... Nora, Nora. And you would be a party to that sort of thing. To have any talk with a man like that and give him any sort of promise, and to tell me a lie into the bargain. My little songbird must never do that again. A songbird must have a clean beak to chirp with. No false notes. That is so, isn't it? Yes, I'm sure it is. We will say no more about it. How warm and snug it is here. Torvald? Yes? I am looking forward tremendously to the fancy dress ball at the Stenborgs the day after tomorrow. And I am tremendously curious to see what you're going to surprise me with. Are you very busy, Torvald? What are all those papers? Bank business. Already? I have got authority from the retiring manager to undertake the necessary changes in the staff and in the rearrangement of the work. And I must make use of the Christmas week for that, so as to have everything in order for the new year. And that was why this poor crook stirred. But tell me, was it really something very bad that this crook stirred was guilty of? He forged someone's name. Have you any idea what that means? Isn't it? Possible that he was driven to do it by necessity. Yes, or as in so many cases, by imprudence. I am not so heartless as to condemn a man altogether because of a single false step of that kind. Many a man has been able to retrieve his character if he has openly confessed his fault and taken his punishment. But Krogstad did nothing of that sort. He got himself out of it by a cunning trick, and that is why he has gone under altogether. Just think how a guilty man like that has to lie and play the hypocrite with everyone, how he has to wear a mask in the presence of those near and dear to him, even before his own wife and children. And about the children, that is the most terrible part of it all, Nora. How? Because such an atmosphere of lies infects and poisons the whole life of a home. Each breath the children take in such a house is full of the germs of evil. Are you sure of that? My dear... I have seen it often in the course of my life as a lawyer. Almost everyone who has gone to the bad early in life has had a deceitful mother. 
Why do you only say mother? Well, it's, it seems most commonly to be the mother's influence, though naturally a bad father's would have the same result. Every lawyer is familiar with the fact this Krogstad now has been persistently poisoning his own children with lies and dissimulation. That is why I say he has lost all moral character. That is why my sweet little Nora must promise me not to plead his cause. Give me your hand on it. I assure you it would be quite impossible for me to work with him. I feel physically ill when I'm in the company of such people. <sighs> I must try and read through some of these before dinner. My precious little singing bird. No, no, it isn't true. It's impossible. It must be impossible. The cast is as follows. Ella Merton as Nora, James Gilson as Torvald, Victoria Breach as Christine, Isaiah Mitchell as Krogstad, Isabella Guilano as Dr. Rank. Directed by Ben Newman, produced by Lucy Bug, and edited by Fred Baker and Chris Peston. <laughs> <laughs>